Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today as we focus in our worship on that aspect of God, that mystery of his triune nature, that he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one God, we see the awe that Isaiah had as he got a glimpse of God's glory. And we also think today of sacrifice, the sacrifice that so many have made and the sacrifice our Savior Jesus has made in our place and that it's he, our awesome God, who sacrificed himself for us, who calls us and asks who will go. Any of you ever heard of this man before, Charles Blondin? He's not on LinkedIn. You're not going to find his Instagram page. You're not going to find him on Facebook because he lived in the 1800s. But he was famous in the 1800s. He was an acrobat, a performer, and he was from France. But he found fame most of all in the United States. Any of you ever been to Niagara Falls? Raise your hand if you've been to Niagara Falls. Okay, we have a few Niagara Falls people in here. At Niagara Falls, Charles Blondin stretched a cable across the Niagara Gorge. Today, the Rainbow Bridge is located there. It connects the U.S. and Canadian border about 1,100 feet across and about 160 feet up. And he walked across that tightrope from one side to the other. But that's not all he did. He danced across it. He even walked across it on stilts. He would take his assistant and put him on his back and walk across. One time, he went to the middle, sat down, cooked an egg, and ate it. He was quite a performer. He even liked to take a wheelbarrow across the falls. And then he would play it up a little bit. He would say to the people watching him, how many of you think that I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and push it across the tightrope to the other side? Well, of course you can do that, Blondin. You've done everything. We've seen it all. And then came the next question. Who would like to be the person that would sit in the wheelbarrow? You can probably imagine that most people's hands went down pretty quickly. They wanted to see it, but they didn't be, they want to be the ones at risk. Sometimes I think when we hear a text like Isaiah chapter 6 and we hear God's call, who will go, maybe we feel a little bit like Blondin's crowd, right? I, I don't know. Lord, I don't know if I'm the right person to do that. I don't know if I'm the one who can really tell other people about you and your glory and majesty. But I want you to notice something today as we read through God's call of Isaiah because what is true of Isaiah is true of you too. Before God ever asks Isaiah to do anything, he first reminds him of his awesomeness and then of his forgiveness as well. And so as we look at this text today and we see that God calls us and asks that same question, who will go? Let's take note first of the fact that God atoned for our sins. And then secondly, that he is the one who equips us to love. We, we read the text before, Isaiah chapter 6. I would like to read the first four verses for you again. And, and this time what I'd love you to do is just get a mental picture Try to picture in your mind what Isaiah's writing down, what he's trying to describe as he sees God's majesty. Listen again to the first four verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This event happened over 2,700 years ago, that Isaiah was commissioned into what God asked him to do, to take that message of salvation to others. And as Isaiah gets a glimpse of the glory of his God, do you get the sense that he's having trouble writing down exactly what he's seeing? How, how did you picture it in your mind's eye? He's on a throne, right? God is on a throne, high and exalted, we're told. And then this description, the train of his robe filled the entire temple. I'm going to guess that some of you have been at weddings where the wedding gown that the bride wore had quite an extended train. But I'm guessing you haven't seen too many times a train that, that filled the entire aisle from front to back, right? And yet that's the description of God, the train of his robe filling the entire temple. And then we hear about these six-winged angels, seraphim as they're called, that are flying around. Seraphim, that word itself means burners. And perhaps it is a reference to the fact that when angels are described in the Bible, they're often described as white or bright, glowing, maybe as if almost they are on fire. And you heard what they were calling to one another, right? Holy, 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 three holies. Certainly that is significant. It's a nod to the fact that our God is three persons in one being. But I want to take just a moment this morning to focus on that word, holy. What were they saying when they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy? The word in the original Hebrew is kadosh. And it literally means to split apart or to separate. I don't know if you've ever seen a butcher at work, but if you picture a meat cleaver coming down and splitting a piece of meat, a steak, kadosh, it's split Split apart. That's exactly what this word means in Hebrew. And you see the picture, right? God is set apart. He's split apart from all other people because no one and nothing in this life can match his holiness. There is nothing in this world like our God. He is completely high and exalted, separate from all of us. The last thing that Isaiah sees is the smoke that fills the temple and the sound of the angels calling to one another that caused the doorposts and the thresholds of the temple to shake. Can't imagine how frightening that was. Maybe you've had this experience too. You're, you're driving along and you pull up to a stop sign, a stoplight, and right next to you pulls another person and all of a sudden you're hearing very clearly the music that they're listening to in their car. And it's not just kind of loud. It's so loud that it's rattling not just the windows of the car next to you, but your windows too. It's a little bit of an odd sensation, isn't it? And yet that's exactly what Isaiah was seeing, that the shaking of the doorposts and the thresholds, the majesty and awesomeness of God. Let's see how Isaiah reacted to this awesome vision. Woe to me, I cried. 
I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Maybe you'd think at first that Isaiah would be super excited. Oh, he got to see the majesty, the awesomeness of God. Maybe he's patting himself on the back a little bit, how special it is that I got to see this, but that's not how Isaiah reacts at all. The first word out of Isaiah's mouth is, whoa, I'm in trouble. Whoa, Isaiah says, because he understood exactly what Moses was told in Exodus chapter 33. No one can look at God and live. And why not? Because God is holy, completely free from sin. And as Isaiah witnessed the majesty and in awe stood before God in this vision, he knew that he did not measure up to that holiness. Isaiah became completely aware of the fact that there was a separation between he and God. Did you hear how he expressed it? I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And when we hear Isaiah's words, we can relate, can't we? Will you consider just for a minute with me the kind of things that have passed over our own lips to make them unclean? The criticisms, the complaints, the slander, the gossip, all the things that we say, we too have to admit, God, we can't stand before you either. We are a people of unclean lips. In just a week, we are going to start a new sermon series. Our summer sermon series is going to be on the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. And one of the things that's true of the explanations that Martin Luther gives to each one of those commandments demonstrates the awe with which we approach our God. Martin Luther wrote it this way, we should fear and love God. There's a healthy respect that's necessary to approach a God who's holy when his people are not. And what those Ten Commandments do is show us what we need. That we need someone, we need something to Bring us the holiness that we lack so that we can stand before God. And that's exactly what our God did through Jesus. I heard a pastor talk about this section of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, and he uses three words that, I suppose because they rhyme, made a really good memory hitch. I still remember it today. He said the whole section, chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, could be described with these three words. Woe, no, and go. We got to see the woe already, right? Isaiah knew that he was standing in the presence of a holy God and that he was not holy, and so he thought, whoa, I'm in trouble. But God said, no. No, I'm going to take care of your sin. The Messiah that I promised, he will come and win for you and all people the forgiveness of that sin. You are not going to be in trouble. You are not going to be separate from me, but again, be one through the Messiah. And then God's call came to Isaiah, go, who will go? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. That middle part, the, the no, the atonement for sin, God brought that about for Isaiah in a pretty unique way. Listen again to verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from, uh, from, uh, with tongs from the altar. 
With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away for and your sin atoned for. Taken away and your sin atoned for. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? An angel bringing a live coal from the altar, bringing it to Isaiah's lips and touching his lips. You see, Isaiah had just admitted that he was a person of unclean lips and lived among a people of unclean lips. And so that coal being brought to his mouth was to purify him. Are you a little uncomfortable right now? Waiting for the angel to come with a coal and touch our own lips? It's not what God does. God had a different way to demonstrate to us the same forgiveness that he demonstrated to Isaiah. I want you to notice something. Where did the coal, where did the coal that the angel brought, the seraphim brought to Isaiah come from? Did you catch it? From the altar, right? Do you remember from the Old Testament what happened on the altars in and around the temple? Sacrifices, right? You see, every time those sacrifices were made, God was demonstrating to his people that sin demands a payment. The payment of life, the payment of blood. And in his grace, God allowed those animals that were being sacrificed to take the place of his people. But you know what those sacrifices were meant to do even more, don't you? They were meant to point ahead. Point ahead to the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus himself who would give his own life for the sins of the whole world. That's how you and I stand before God, clean, holy, and blameless. It's through Jesus. And think about this. Our lips have been touched, haven't they? Every time you receive the Lord's Supper, the very body and blood of Jesus, together with the bread and wine, touch your lips. The body and blood of Jesus that was sacrificed on the cross to assure you of your forgiveness, we get to taste. That's what God has done for you and me, guaranteeing you and I forgiveness for all of our sins through Christ. We stand before him holy, blameless, forgiven, and loved. That's the work of our triune God. The Father who planned our salvation, Jesus who came and executed the plan perfectly, and the Spirit who convinces us that we are loved children of God and heirs of eternal life. That's when the call came for Isaiah. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. I want you to think one more time about the order in which these things came about. First of all, Isaiah was privileged to see the glory and majesty of God. He stood in awe of God's holiness. And then when he felt the separation between his God and himself because of sin, God reminded him that he was forgiven, that his sin was paid for, that it was completely atoned for. He was at one with God. And then, then the call to Isaiah came. Who will go? Whom shall we send? And Isaiah answered, Here am I. Do you get the sense that for Isaiah, this was not a burden? This was not something that, oh great, now I have to do this too? This was excitement. 
This was joy that he got to say to people the very things that he got to witness. Not just the glory and majesty of God, but the joy of forgiveness to him. Same is true for you and for me. God chose us. He made us his own children, adopted us into his family, has given us an inheritance of eternal life with him. And he simply says, tell. Tell people what you know. Be a witness. You know the joy of forgiveness. You know what it means to be a child of God, to live in this world with no fear because we know where we're headed. So maybe the best question we can ask ourselves is, who else? Who else in my life? Someone that God has given me an opportunity to influence? Somebody that God has given me an an opportunity to connect with? Who else in my life needs to hear the message and the joy that Jesus loves them and is their savior from sin? Peter describes so well how God sets this up in his first epistle in chapter 2 when he wrote this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Did you see how Peter had the exact same order as Isaiah? You're a chosen people. You're God's special possession. And because that's our status, because that's what God has done for us, it gives us every reason to be filled with joy and love for others and love for our Savior as we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, Isaiah's vision of God reminds us how awesome our God is. Holy, 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 separate. So what did God do about it? Number two, God has purified us from our uncleanness, our unholiness through Jesus. It's Jesus himself who gives us the holiness that we need to stand before God. And it's Jesus who removed our sins completely. So God sees us as his holy children. And number three, God's love for us leads us to declare his greatness and salvation. When that love of God fills us, when we recognize the status that God has given him, given us before him, that's when we look for opportunities to say to others, and Jesus died for you too. Here we are on Memorial Day weekend, and I couldn't help but think of those words, here I am, uh, have them make me think a little bit about all of the thousands, countless, I suppose we could say, people over the years who have sacrificed their own lives, put their own lives in danger to protect the freedoms that you and I enjoy. Here am I, they said, as they signed up for military service, sometimes being shipped overseas, sometimes being forced to fight in wars, sometimes even asked to make the ultimate sacrifice. Then I think of Jesus, who when the Father said, you're going to go, You're going to go down to earth and live in people's place and and die for their sins so that they can be holy and blameless and stand before me. Jesus said, here I am. Send me. And then I think of our call. As we hear those words, who will go, that here am I. It's not getting into a wheelbarrow to be pushed across a tightrope at 160 feet above some falls. Now, God gives us a chance simply to talk to people that he's placed in our lives. People around us, opportunities that we have simply to witness by the way we live, by the joy that we show, and by the words that we speak. 
that our Savior Jesus loves not just us, but all people. And when God comes to us and says, who will go? It's God's love for us that fills us with love for others. And we answer, just like Isaiah, here am I, send me. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.